If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie. This text comes from the Acts of the Apostles. It's the 10th chapter of verses 44 to 48 called Gentiles Receive the Holy Spirit. It could also be called an inconvenient truth. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people? who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. Here ends this reading inspired by God. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. The lectionary passage Robin just finished reading is actually the very end of what is the longest narrative in Acts. It is a seven-act drama of 66 verses. So we need to back up a little bit to the beginning of chapter 10, where we are introduced to Cornelius, a spiritual but not religious Gentile who had a vision. It was a clear vision. Send for an apostle of Jesus, a guy named Simon called Peter. As it turns out, Peter, a devout and faithful Jew and follower of Jesus, was in the middle of receiving a vision himself. In Peter's vision, the heavens opened and something like a large sheet came down, lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. And Peter heard a voice say, get up, Peter, eat. Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. This is a big deal. Peter is reminding God that dietary laws were markers of faithfulness. Only these laws stood in the way of assimilation. Drop one's particularities and all of a sudden, you're a good little citizen of the empire a little pork here, a pinch of incense to Caesar there, and it will not be long before the faith community will just quietly disappear. 
These dietary laws were not a matter of etiquette or peculiar culinary habits. They were matter, matters of survival and identity for the Jewish people. But the voice said to Peter again a second time, you must not make unclean that which God has cleansed. This actually happens three times, and then the sheet was taken back up into heaven. And even after the third time, Peter is confused, offended even. I mean, how can God just simply declare something clean that has always been unclean? What about everything Peter had learned in church? What if people found out? This is Peter we're talking about. Peter, faithful, responsible, attentive, discerning, obedient Peter. Matthew's gospel tells us that Jesus thought so much of Peter that he declared the church would be built upon him. And in the beginning of Acts, it was Peter who became the voice for the remaining apostles in those early days. It was Peter who recognized the presence of the Holy Spirit in the chaos of Pentecost. It was Peter who first began to preach and heal and even raise a woman named Tabitha from the dead. This guy is like a Jedi apostle. I mean, it's no wonder Peter was baffled, but it seems that God was trying to say that there is another basis for survival and identity, something more important than long-standing rules. The text continues. Now, while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he had seen, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. They were asking for Simon's house and were standing by the gate. They called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, look, these men are searching for you. Now get up, go down, and go with them without hesitation. The Greek word that is translated hesitation literally means to make a distinction between two alternatives. So it is not simply go without hesitation as in hurry up, go without delay, but also go without discrimination. Still foggy from the vision from heaven, but trusting the story to work itself out, Peter agrees to go. Once they get to Cornelius' house, we hear exactly why the Spirit had to prod Peter to go without discrimination. The gathering of friends and relatives at Cornelius' home form quite a crowd, and like any preacher, Peter cannot resist a captive audience. So Peter begins to speak to the gathering, opening with a confession. You yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. There it is. Jews versus Gentiles. Peter, a good Jewish boy, was trying to follow the rules. Remember, this is Peter. Responsible, faithful, attentive, discerning, obedient Peter. And he has just confessed that he has breached Jewish law by hanging out with Gentiles. This prohibition of Jews hanging out with Gentiles may seem a little strange to our modern ears. A good number of us were raised in churches who asked, will the Jews be saved? 
which of course assumes that Christians are the insiders and Jews the outsiders. Christians do not suffer from humility. And we live in this strange time where evangelicals are hoping to use Israel as a way to usher in the second coming, even though in that framework it means the destruction of the world. This only makes sense in a time where down is up, facts are subjective, and collusion is a phony made-up crime. But in Acts, the issue isn't, will the Jews be saved, but rather the opposite. The question for the early church was, will God accept these Johnny-come-latelys? I mean, where have y'all, y'all being Gentiles, where have y'all been? At the turn of the first century, the early church was facing quite a crisis. By the time Luke writes the book of Acts, the Jewish verdict on Jesus had for the most part been delivered. A group which first thought of itself as a sect within Judaism was out of the synagogues and on its own. The church was rapidly becoming a Gentile phenomenon, which was unexpected. While Luke may have been a little bit worried about his Jewish brothers and sisters' attitude about Jesus, Luke likely trusted that the fate of the Jewish people rested, as it always had, in the hands of a faithful and just God. But, but this same God seemed to be doing a new thing, making a place among the chosen for outsiders, erasing distinction like you couldn't tell who was in and who was out. Luke wrote in that rather confusing, if not embarrassing period, when the church had to explain to itself how the good news is for everyone, not just the select. The good news is for you. You are in, you belong, you belong. And you may be thinking, uh, Robin preached that sermon last week, and, and you preached it the week before that. Yep. For the past two Sundays, our sermons have centered on making sure you know you belong. You, and you, and you, and you, and you, and even you. And Robin is correct. You have to be careful with that, even you. And that yes, you message is one of the most important things that can come from this pulpit. Jesus was obsessed with this message, particularly for the dismissed and the marginalized. Most of the stories we have about Jesus center on this narrative, pulling into the center the bent over woman, touching lepers, eating with tax collectors. You know the stories. But our tendency to make distinction is, um, well, it's pretty strong. Our tendency to discriminate is a hard lesson to unlearn. We hear it in this morning's text. Peter has made it to Cornelius' house. He has admitted that he is worried about hanging around Gentiles. And then he is interrupted. While he was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Even on the Gentiles. 
even on the Gentiles? Even, even on the Gentiles. Oh, Peter, we know the feeling. Even the Gentiles, like even the Nazarenes, like even the Catholics, even the Southern Baptists. Do they even social justice? (laughs) The self-righteousness can get thick around here. I mean, is it possible for any other denomination to offer radical hospitality like the UCC does? Is it possible for any other church to do like we do? We show up. Plus, we've got the senior minister with the strong hair who writes, <laughs> who writes heretical op-eds and that loudmouth associate who prays the prayers. This church does social justice. (laughs) We do social justice like nobody else. There can't possibly be any more Holy Spirit to go around. But our story says, the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on fill in the blank. So the real question is, of course, are we willing to work alongside those who God has called without hesitation, without distinction? I mean, what about partisanship? There seems to be an idea floating out there that God only moves liberals, that everyone else is, to borrow Peter's phrase, profane and unclean. But if we dehumanize people with whom we disagree by describing them using the words we associate with pest control, we are doing it wrong. We are called to political activism, but not partisan fighting. Remember that politics comes from the Greek word polis, which means city. So politics is how a city, a community, organizes itself, how it makes decisions, Politics is about solving problems, resolving conflicts, finding common ground, and above all, making sure no one is left behind. Partisanship, on the other hand, is about harassing an enemy. And if there's anything we should do if we have enemies, it isn't harass them, it's pray for them. A guy named Jesus said that. To be sure, our primary identifier is not Democrat, Republican, Independent, or Libertarian. Our primary identifier is member of the beloved community, members who are called to love every single other. So that means if Sally Kern herself walked through that sanctuary door, I'd expect one of you to slide over and offer to share your hymnal with her. Every single other. If Tom Coburn, moved by the Spirit, showed up at the men's group some Monday night, I'd expect our men folk to ask him to leave the teacher pay raise killing petition outside (laughs) and then show him to the seeker's room and invite him into conversation. If Governor Mary Fallon comes to the Piedmont College Choral Concert tonight, 
which one of you is going to ask her to veto permitless carry and state-sponsored religious discrimination, <laughs> and then invite her back next Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. and promise to sit with her. Maybe Nancy will do that. There are 16 Nancys in the congregation. <laughs> or maybe John. There are close to 30 men named John. Or maybe it's not Governor Fallon who's on your hard-to-talk-to list. Maybe it's your dad, or your sister, or your neighbor. The gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on fill-in-the-blank. Another apostle, Paul, tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God, but sometimes church people try their hardest church people like Peter, church people like us, and we've got to quit it. So, so I say we practice. Lucky for us, we've got a communion table. Look at it, no head, no foot, plenty of room for as many chairs as we can pull up. There is no code, no password, no secret handshake. We don't ask you to show ID or recite a creed or tell us your party affiliation. It is at the communion table that we can practice what Peter did, to go without hesitation, without distinction. We take communion alongside all kinds of kinds, gay, straight, lesbian, transgender, bisexual, queer, questioning, married, single, divorced, separated, considering any of the above. You will be taking communion alongside Lutherans and Methodists and the spiritual but not religious. The bread and wine will be shared by young and old, rich and poor, longtime members and first-time visitors. You will be taking communion alongside Republicans. One might even be serving you. It's fine. If the story we read this morning is true, and we believe that it is, we can assume that the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all of us. No distinction. So let's practice, shall we? You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Waukee, Associate Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m. Mayflower also has a full church school for children of all ages available during the 11 a.m. service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.